Good morning, family. Good morning. morning. All right. So when we set out on this journey through our church doctrine, if you're new, we've been going through the doctrine booklet of our church just to refresh ourselves on what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, When we set out on this little journey, Mel had me pick out two that I wanted to do. And then we realized quickly that as I was going to speak today, we're not done with them yet. So Mel calls me on the phone while I'm driving truck. He's like, hey, uh, you're going to need to do another one of these. And he gives me the list of what we haven't done yet. So not having the book in front of me, I said, this one sounds good. It's called Our Blessed Hope. Like, I could do a study on heaven, right? Like, I could stand to learn a little bit more about heaven. This is great. I'll, I'll take that one. Then I get home, and I open the book to Our Blessed Hope, which is number 12 of our 13 church doctrines, and it's not about heaven. <laughs> it's about the second coming of Christ. <laughs> and so, when I convinced myself I didn't have to call Mel and beg that we had to switch... <laughs> I actually chastised myself a little bit. I, I, I was like, maybe I had it wrong. You see, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. Amen. Yes, I got a couple. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. Um, what little we know about it is so amazing. Like the little picture he gives us of it is, man, I can't wait. Um, so don't you dare feel sorry for me when I'm gone. Like, Don't you dare. You can feel sorry for yourself if you're still here, but don't feel sorry for me. I'm going to be doing just fine, okay? And you will too, if you know the Lord. But I'm anxious for a place where there's... the Moth and rust doesn't destroy. I love cars. Like, I would love it if my 78 Corvette didn't rust. I don't own one. I just want one. Anyway, (laughs) there's probably better things than that up there, but you get the point. Like, I'm anxious for that. I'm anxious for a place where there's no more sorrow. There's no more weeping. I'm anxious for a place where I don't have to answer the questions that my kids have. Why did this bad thing happen? Like, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a place where when you have questions, there's somebody there with the answers, and it's not me. Right? I don't have to get up and try and explain it to you. I can give my brain a break. Like, I'm I'm looking forward to that. And and I, I think you should be, too. I'm looking forward to a place where people don't take natural God-given gifts and distort them to be things that they're not. All these things I look forward to. Um, But when I sat down and opened the book, I was kind of convicted because when a bride gets married on her wedding day, her hope isn't in, or it shouldn't be in, the wedding gifts. Anthony and Carla got married yesterday, and... I don't think that their excitement was in all the stuff that we brought them and sat on their table. Their excitement was in the hope of the new relationship, the hope of each other. Like, guys, girls, if you're marrying a guy and he's just looking for what he can get from you, pick a different guy, okay? Like, that's not, he should be excited about you. Like, the bride's excited about the guy that's there that thinks that she's the greatest thing in the world. It's that relationship. That's what's exciting. The hope is in the promise of that forever love, that forever place that they belong. It's not in the things that surround the relationship. And so I was reminded of that as I sat down. It's like, yeah, I hope in heaven and I'm looking forward to it, but 
The hope is in that, that wedding feast, that, that relationship, that place I belong. And I don't... I guess I was reminded, too, that I do picture that moment. Like, if you understand who Christ is, you've probably pictured that moment that you're going to first meet him. That's probably something you've thought about. And I don't think I can put it any better than Mercy Me already did with their song, I Can Only Imagine. Like, they talk about all the different ways. Like, will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Like, that's why I don't sing, by the way. Um, I'm not on the worship team. But you get it. Like, what will that moment be like? And so my picture of that, if I can be honest with you, um, when my wife and I were dating, she doesn't get excited to see me anymore, but when we were dating, (laughs) that's a joke, uh, I hope. Um, When we were dating, her family goes to the beach every year for vacation, and they take over a hotel, like the whole first, I'm not kidding, it's like 40 people, like the whole first floor. And so she invited me down to this, and... uh, I said, okay, I can come down, but I can't, I can't take that much time off work to go for the full week. I, got to, I only have so much vacation. So I was supposed to go down midweek. Well, I begged off and got a couple extra days from my boss, so I was able to go down early, and I didn't tell her. I wanted to surprise her. So I went down that Monday night, and I went up, and she just happened. As I was coming out the door of the hallway, she was at the other end, and she saw me, and she came, maybe not full-speed sprint, but she came <laughs> running toward me with this big grin on her face, and a big hug. Like, and I kind of picture that moment when I meet Jesus will be like that. Like, just like sprinting toward him in a huge hug. Like, manly hug. Not like a girly hug. Like, a, you know what I mean. Like, man hug. But that's how I've always pictured it. And yet, when I read scripture, every time a worldly being encountered a heavenly being, what was their response? Fear. They fell flat on their face. Like, in just awe of, like, so maybe it'll be like that, too. I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question, and that's not what I'm trying to tell you today, but that anticipation of that moment, of being finally where we belong, in that relationship, in that place of rest with him. So what do we know about that hope? What do we know about Jesus returning? And that's what we want to look at today. So if you want to turn to First Thessalonians... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm sorry, that's my kid. (laughs) He doesn't like what I'm saying, I guess. I don't know. This is really, I mean, what I'm going to go through today is basically what's in our church doctrine, so I can relay it to you. This is really like... I mean, we could spend months on this topic, on what's going to happen, what prophecy says and all that. That's not what we're doing. Um, There's so much about the return of Jesus we could discuss. But our doctrine book basically goes over two aspects of it, like the how and the when of it. They talk a little bit about, like, the bodily resurrection. And there's one line in there about the tribulation. So we're not going to go through all that. I want to talk about the major, what they have in there, the... The how and the when. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, 
God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will return, the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing our helmet of the confidence of salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us, so that whether we are dead or alive when he, rem when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you are already doing. Now, our doctrine points out that in the New Testament, there are 318, at least 318 scriptures that reference the second coming of Christ. I did not look up all of them, did not look up all of them. This passage in 1 Thessalonians is one of the longer discussions of the topic. So let's deal with the easy part first, the how. How is Jesus returning? Verses 16 and 17 state this pretty clearly. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. The believers, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and there we will be with him forever. Acts 1, 9, 9-11 says basically very similar, the same thing. After saying this, Jesus was taken up in a cloud while they were watching. This is the ascension. And they could no longer see him. And they strained to see him rising into heaven, and two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, men of Galilee. They said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return the same way that he left. I was actually reading an article a few years ago. It was not a religious article. It was a sports article. The guy was trying to make similarities, similes between sports and religion. And he was clearly agnostic. And he said, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is going to return on the clouds and that we're going to be with him. So I sent him a friendly email pointing him to 1 Thessalonians 4 where it says exactly that. <laughs> so if you ever have someone that says that's not really in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says it himself in Matthew 24, we'll look at later, Romans 1, 7. They all say the same thing. That's how he's coming back. So that's the easy part. How? Now the question we all have on our minds, the when. The when. It's the one question everyone wants answered, the when. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. You know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. 
When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains. Now, I know it can be a lot. If you, you can keep your finger there, but if you want to turn to Matthew 24, I know it can be a lot when I just stand here and read to you, but I think it's important that we see the agreement in Scripture from Jesus himself agreeing with what Paul said or Paul agreeing with what Jesus said. And in order for me to go through all this, I want you to have as much information as possible. And a lot of our church doctrine comes out of this chapter, Matthew 24. So just bear with me a little bit. I want to read it all to you. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, hey, tell us, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them this, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but this is only the first. This is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will go cold, grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. And then those in Judea must flee to the hills. The person on the deck of a roof must not go down to the house to pack. A person in the field must not return to even get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person would survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. And then, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even us, even God's chosen people. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go out and look. Or look, he's hiding here, don't believe it. For his lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. In other words, everyone's going to be able to see it. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then... And then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with heaven and with 
of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not the, even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. And they didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding at the flour mill. One will be taken and the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day the Lord is coming. And understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar is coming, he'd keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and find that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Think about that. Think about that. But what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected. He will cut the servant and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Both Jesus here in Matthew and Paul talk about similar things. First of all, that no one knows when. No one knows when. You're all hoping I was going to give you the answer to that question today. Sorry. I'm going to give you a, a kind of answer later, but we'll get to that. No man, no, no angel, not even Jesus himself, not even the Son of God understands when that's going to happen. If anyone gives you an exact date that Jesus is returning, you can pretty much be 100% sure it won't be on that date. Like a couple of years ago, that guy in California said it was going to be like April 21st or something. Everyone sold all their stuff. I'd have put money on the fact that it wasn't going to be that day. If anyone picks a date, forget about it. That's not when it's going to be. By the, time Jesus, by the time Jesus is ready to return, I don't think there'll be a whole lot of people talking about Jesus' return. We'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus and Paul both say that no one knows. So why are we talking about it then? I'm getting there. I just want to put a side note in here too. This is your bonus mini-sermon for the day. When I say no one knows, that also means that Satan doesn't know. The enemy doesn't know when it's going to happen. So what that means is that he has to be ready at any time. And I used to think that meant that it would explain all the evil people in our world. You think of like Hitler or Saddam Hussein or all those people. Like, oh, Satan's getting somebody ready. I don't think that's the case. Jesus makes it clear that there's going to be a lot of deception going on. I think the man of lawlessness is probably going to be someone who's a little more of a smooth talker that can convince people that things that shouldn't be right are right. Okay? But that's just a side note. Anyway. Jesus and Paul say, both say no one knows the date. They also talk about how people will be behaving when the end comes. Paul says in verse 3 that when they say peace and safety, 
then their calamity comes upon them. Jesus says that in, in the end days, it'll be like right before the people got on, Noah got on the boat. The people were behaving the same way. I think it's interesting. If you think about what the month of June has become, you turn on your TV or your social media if you have it, and June is this celebration of sin now, right? And it's almost like people have become unified in this purpose. We're celebrating together. We're unified. We're one under what, guys? Under sin. I think that's probably more like what the end times are going to be like. People are generally afraid of, like, World War III. Oh, World War III is the end of the world. Or climate change. Climate change is bringing us to the end of the world. I don't think that's what it is. The unity under sin is what's bringing us to the end of the world. I think that, honestly, when world peace comes, and, and I'm not telling you not to pursue world peace, that's not what I'm saying. When world peace comes under false guises, when everyone's unified under the idea that what God says isn't true, that's when the end comes. When they think they've made peace with each other over false things, that's when the end is going to be here. And that's also when we are going to be outcasts. And Jesus says that in verse 9, you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Why? Because we're going to have ideas that don't agree with everything that they say is true. So what does that all mean? After all, this doesn't sound very appealing, right? This rush to the end times, we want Jesus to come back, but that doesn't sound super appealing to me, that we're going to be arrested and persecuted and killed. I mean, why should we look forward to this at all, really? Because it doesn't sound very appealing. But Jesus' return brings about hope. That's the point of our doctrine. It brings about hope. And you said, but Bruce, you just told us things are going to get worse. Why is it about hope? And there's four reasons we have hope with the return of Jesus. One is it's an end to all that sin. It's an end to all that sin. Matthew 24, 31, we just read it, says, and he will send out his angels in the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from the end of the earth. We're out of here. We're out of here. Like that's, I'm ready. Let's go, right? The no amen, can I get an amen? Mom, did you say it? I thought I heard one over there. Like, you want to <laughs> you wanna get out of here. I do. Not, not that everything about here is bad, but an end to all those things, all those things that are glorifying ideas that, that aren't godly. I'm tired of schools pushing on our children ideas that are wrong. I'm tired of politicians making laws that things have to be acceptable that aren't acceptable. Like, I'm ready for that to be over. And Christ's return is hope for that. There's second thing is it's hope in death. I'm gonna, you don't have to go back. I just want to read 1 Thessalonians. We read it, 4.13. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. There's hope in death because of Jesus. There's hope in death. Paul is trying to comfort the Thessalonian believers who've had loved ones die, and they don't understand what's happening. They're mourning, and he's trying to dissuade them from excess grief. He doesn't want them to grieve like people who have no hope. Grief is not a problem. If you have loved ones die, it's not a problem to grieve them. 
But at some point, the grief should end. Because if that person knew Christ and you know Christ, you have hope. And if you don't stop grieving, what is that telling people who don't have that hope? Well, it must not mean anything. Their faith must not mean anything. Or else, worse, I don't really believe what I say I believe. That, that faith in God is supposed to give us hope in death. Now, if you have someone die who you know who doesn't know Jesus, that's worth grieving over. What The eternal ramifications of that, that's worth grieving over for a longer period of time. But if you have someone who knows Christ who dies, like that's borderline celebration. I know it's not for us here, but for them it certainly is. It's also hope in difficulties. Hope in difficulties. Back in 1 Thessalonians. Together with them... We who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another with these words. At my old church, there used to be... (laughs) You'll love this. At my old church, there was an elderly man. He had to be in his 90s, okay? (laughs) That used to come in... You had to be here a couple weeks ago to get that one. Um, he used to come in every week to church with his cane and he'd sit in the back and then on the way out, I would always greet him. And he always said every week when we were done talking, he would say, maybe today, maybe today the Lord comes every week. That was how he sent us away. Maybe today. And if, if I say that to you and you say that to me and we're like, eh, well, I'm not maybe, but I'm not really ready yet. Like that's not the response. Maybe today the Lord comes. Yes, maybe today. Maybe today. There's a lot of difficulties in this life. There's a lot of difficulties in this life. And it's a difficult thing to go through a lot of things. And in, here in America, we don't even have it that bad. But it's still, there are, there are things that are difficult to go through. But he says here, Paul's saying, you're supposed to encourage each other with the words that Christ is returning. Christ is coming back. This is all temporary. It's all temporary. Whatever you're going through, it's all temporary. It's all going away forever at some point. And there's something better. By the way, another key point to that, if we're going to encourage one another, you have to actually hang out with people who believe what you believe. You actually have to be engaged with people who understand this and believe it. Mel and Scott and I were just talking on Friday about churches and If you can hear me today, if you're new here, you don't like the sound of my voice, you don't like my preaching, you don't like my glasses, whatever, I don't care. We don't care. Go find a church that you do like the preacher. Go find a church that they do speak to you, that they do encourage you. That's our prayer for you. We want you to have engagement, to have encouragement, to have people around you that can build you up. If that's not here, great. If it is here, great. If there's some way we can improve that, tell us, great. But we want you to have that encouragement. You need to be around those people to get that. If you get hurt, if you get hurt in life and you say, you know what, I'm just going to stay away from church for now because I just can't deal with it. I just can't put up with people. You are cutting off the things that are going to help you get better. This is the place you're coming for encouragement to get through those difficult times. And if we're not doing well, if I'm not doing well, smack me upside the head and say, do it better. That's fine. Like... This should be a place of healing. And you need to stay connected through the tough times because they're coming. We just read it. 
It's coming. You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Please don't be in that group. I don't want to be in that group. You don't want to be in that group. We need to stay connected. We need to keep encouraging one another in this. You're going to need it. The last hope is in reward. The last hope is in reward. Jesus is bringing with him reward. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and find that servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. And I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Now, we just talked about a little earlier that our hope isn't in the rewards, and our hope isn't in the rewards. Our hope is in that relationship. But if Jesus is going to bring some rewards with him and hand them out, I want to be in that line, right? And I don't like standing in line. So I'm willing to wait. That's the line you want to be in. I mean, I can't imagine I'll need rewards beyond his presence, but if he's giving them out, I sure would like to, to be in that line. And he says there's legitimate hope for that when, we, when he returns. Right here in Matthew, he says there's legitimate hope for that when he returns. How? How? And therein lies the real answer to the question of when is Jesus returning? It doesn't matter. And you all are disappointed in that answer to the question. But in reality, it doesn't matter when he's coming back. The Father will send him when the time is right. The question we need to be asking ourselves isn't when is that going to happen, it's am I doing what I'm called to do in the meantime? Am I feeding his people? Am I serving his people? That's what he's concerned with. If it was a big deal when he was coming back, he would have told us. What's the big deal? Whether or not we're doing what we were made to do in the meantime. That's what he wants to find us doing. That's the important part. Can you honestly say this morning that if I asked you, are you doing exactly what the Lord has made you to do this morning, that the answer to that question would be yes? If not, are you willing to do what you need to do to change it? So the answer to that question is yes. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your word this morning. I'm grateful for the excitement of thinking about you coming back and, oh, the joy of that moment, the joy of forever with you. Oh, grateful for that thought. But we need help. We need help to persevere in the meantime. We need, we need you here. We need you to teach us how to encourage each other and build each other up and be ready for that, to be working for that in the meantime. So, man, just show us that. And I'm thankful for the hope that this brings, the hope and and I don't think we have it that bad yet, but the hope that even if things get worse, that there's going to be a day it all ends. There's going to be a day where it all ends and we get to be with you and we don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. And I'm grateful that you gave us your word to teach us that and to help us get through it. And so just help us to understand it, to learn it, to hold on to it and to, to teach it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Song number 535.
535, it's entitled Christ Returner. It says here in the first stanza, it may be at morn, it may be at day, maybe a sunlight through darkness and shadow breaking. We don't know, but uh, let's just sing this song and pay attention to the words, okay? It may be at morn when the Stanges. Oh, joy, oh, delight, should be
what they're supposed to do. You'd be like this guy up here. There's no doubt this is what he's supposed to be doing. No, come right? on. Amen. No, I just I just a person like anybody else. Yeah, right? like you enjoy it. Well, I do enjoy yeah. it, but that's okay. <laughs> For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are alive and remain will be caught up to the clouds to meet Amen. the Lord in the air. Amen. And yes. we will be with the Lord forever. Forever. Bruce. Forever. Forever. So encourage one another with these words. Yes, Go and be encouraged today. Praise Amen. God. Yes. Maybe today. Maybe today. Maybe today. Bye.